Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, my name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. I'm the teaching pastor. Um, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. All right. We have been working through this series um, in our doctrine over the last several weeks. Uh, we're in week eight. And what we typically do as a church, if you've been around or been with us for a while, you know this. But what we typically do as a church is we walk through a book of the Bible from beginning to end. And we see what God has for us in his word from beginning of the book all the way through the end. And so that's what we typically do. But we thought it'd be good for us to take some time. We've never done this before. Take some time and, and pull aside from that to look intently at our doctrine as a church. Right, to see what, what we believe as a church, to put in front of us all, to all, for all of us to be together on the same page and learning. What do we believe as a church? What do we rally around as a church? And so some things I, I've put in front of us together over the last weeks is this, that we're going to be using our Bible. So we, we may not be working through a book of the Bible, but we are going to be using our Bible. So if you have a Bible, make sure you're ready with it. A lot of the verses we'll look at today are going to be up on the screen for you, but, but I want you to see that they're springing from the Word of God. If we rally around something as a church, we've got to understand or make sure that it's springing from the truth of God's Word. Right? If not, why would we rally around it? So um, it's coming from the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in the pew near you. If you don't own a Bible... We would love to give you that gift. There's no greater gift we could give you. So we'd love to give you a Bible on one condition, and that is that you read it. Okay, so we want to give that to you. Um, uh, secondly, what we've put in front of our, our people, uh, us together, over the weeks is that this series, although it may feel heady, it may feel intellectual, it may feel like we're just building up our head knowledge, that's not the end goal. The end goal of a series like this is to fill our head with knowledge about God so that our affections for him would be growing. That's our end goal. Our our desire is that our affections for the God we serve and the God we worship would be growing. And and then uh, thirdly, we've done uh, this over the last weeks, is we want to be thinking about these things creatively, all right? So not just um, heady, big, big, big thoughts about who God is, although we want that. We also want to be seeing how we can communicate these things creatively. And so what we've done is we've asked um, uh, 13 of our creative people or, or 13 different sections of our doctrine to be represented in art, to be represented uh, creatively. And so we've done this o- over the weeks and, and we'll continue to do it until we're finished. And it, the beautiful thing about this is we get to see the different ways that different artists in our church come to these doctrines and understand some of these doctrines and, and present them. So this week, the, the art is by Patrick Richardson. Um, he, he's got, uh, he does amazing work in, in a lot of ways. And this is the one he put together for this. The doctrine today is on the justification of sinners. It's the next one in our list. And here's the art. It's out in the lobby. If you haven't seen it, you, you can look at it there. We'll hang it up here next week. But here's his statement. We've asked every artist to give us a statement, an artist statement, so that we can see this together. Here's what he says. In this image, the lamb is cut in two 
to show the sacrifice which leads to justification for our sins. When I picture Christ removing our sins and making us justified and pure before God, I think of the verse in, in Isaiah 1.18. It says this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. On top of this image, we see the chaotic blackness of sin and death. The sacrificial lamb in the middle is what purifies this, resulting in the whitest of snow and justifying us before God. That's Patrick's statement. I think it's beautiful to see the different ways that we we come to these uh, things creatively. And so um, uh, this morning, like I said, we're looking at the justification of sinners. And we've spent the last several weeks, they've really built one on another. So we've seen these just building. And in fact, you can just look down the yard. If you've been with us, you remember that in the very beginning, this is how we started, that, that we have a triune God, the Trinity. We believe in, in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The, the triune God has revealed himself in, in the pages of scriptures. Right? He, in the 66 books that we have in the Bible, God has revealed himself to us. And God has created all things. He's created all things by speaking them into existence by a powerful word, which should blow our minds. And the pinnacle of all of that creation is humans. He's created humans in his image to be like him and to be in relationship with him. And the way that that went, if you've been around the Bible much, you know how that went, that that man and woman sinned against God. And because of that, that sin now then, Adam's sin is inherited. We inherit that sin. So we follow in that. We choose that as well. So we can just go down the line. But God has a, a beautiful plan. He's got a plan in place that he's working all things together for his good. And, and, and a part of that plan is to redeem a, a group, a great multitude of guilty sinners. That's the good news, the gospel. We see the, the redemption of Jesus over and over. All of this pointing to Jesus. He died. He was raised from the dead. He was ascended by the right hand of God. Right. So so we've just walked through all of these things as building us. But but where does that leave us? Last week we finished on, this is the work of Christ. All of this is, is the work of Christ. All of this, all of redemption is the work of Christ. But where does that leave us? Are we, are we left in our sins? Where does that, that leave us? That, that's where we are this morning. So let me read our doctrinal statement on the justification of sinners. And then I want to walk through it um, somewhat briefly. Here's what our, our doctrinal statement says. We believe... That Christ, by his obedience and death, fully paid the debt of all those who are justified. By his sacrifice, he bore in our stead the punishment due us for our sins. By his perfect obedience, he satisfied the just demands of God on our behalf. Since by faith alone, that perfect obedience is credited to all who trust in Christ alone for their acceptance with God. Now, that's our overarching statement on the justification of sinners. And what I want to do this morning is I want to get at the heart of that. I want, I want to really get in at the heart of this doctrine, again, for the grow, growing affections for, for Jesus. Now, I'll tell you this now. I'll let you down. Um, some of you sort of law-abiding uh, Christians who want something to do, to write in your notes, to go home and do it. There will not be a lot of here are nine things that you can go do. But I'll tell you this, the, the outcome of this, and you can leave now if you want, because I'm about to give you the outcome. The outcome is worship Jesus. The outcome is worship the God who made us to be in relationship with him because of what Christ has already accomplished. That's the application right now. Um, what we've seen in this overarching statement, uh, again, I think is that we can apply it, we can experience it and apply it for ourselves today. 
It's not just something that's out there. And so let me start by, by showing us, uh, us what, what this doctrine actually is telling us about today. Right? We, we see all of this coming together. We, in fact, we walked through this a couple weeks ago when we walked through uh, the doctrine on the gospel, where we summarized the gospel in, in, in 40 minutes or so. And in that doctrine, I brought to our attention different metaphors that we see in Scripture. It wasn't my idea. I, I robbed it from a, a book um, by, by Jared Wilson. I can tell you about that book later. But he puts in front of us um, different gospel metaphors that we see in Scripture that, that just give us this picture of, of, um, of what the gospel is. Do you remember those? Anyone? Just say yes so I feel good. All right? Okay, so here, here's what he does. He puts these gospel metaphors out there. One of them is the, the slavery metaphor that we've been redeemed, right? That we've been um, brought back into, redeemed, released from slavery. There's the family metaphor where we've been adopted into God's family, a family we didn't deserve to be a part of. And, and the justification of sinners hits us here in the legal metaphor, if you remember that from several weeks ago, the legal metaphor, and I said it in about two sentences then, but I want to um, bring it back here because this is our doctrine for today. The way this legal metaphor of justification hits us today is in our acceptance, in our acceptance. Each of us desperately wants to be accepted, Right? It's at the core of who we are. Let's let's move it away from relationship with God for just a second. At the core of who we are, we want to be accepted. We want to feel accepted. We want to to, to understand that we are accepted. You and I, we, we, we all have a desire to be accepted by others in all kinds of ways. It just hits us in all kinds of ways. We want to be accepted by friends. Right? Are, we, are we in the right circle of friends? Are we not? Do they like me? How, how does this work out? We want to be accepted by coworkers. Right? Am I doing the work I, I need to be doing to be accepted in this way and that way and, and, and this way? We want to be accepted uh, by um, coworkers in, in all kinds of ways. Here, here's the craziest thing to me. We want at times to be accepted by people we know don't like us. You ever, that's crazy to me. Have you ever experienced this? Where you know that someone doesn't like you, you, you just know it, something's gone on, but still you walk away from some sort of conversation you've had with them and you're thinking, I wonder what they think of me. I wonder how they view me. I wonder how this is going to go down. We, we desperately want to be accepted in all kinds of ways, in the ways we talk, Right? We want to be accepted in, in the, the, the ways that we um, uh, uh, dress, right? Should I wear a bolo tie? Should I not? Yes, you should. Everyone will accept you. Right? So we want, we want that, right? We, we want to be accepted in the music we listen to or don't listen to. Um, we, we, even the hipsters among us, as much as they would push against this, are, are trying so, uh, those who are trying so hard to break the mold of what is fashionable are trying as hard as they can to, to break the mold of what is fashionable and be accepted by others who are trying to break the mold of what is fashionable, right? That just happens. We desperately want to be accepted. We want so badly to be accepted. And even if we say, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's me. That, I don't really want to be accepted. I, I don't really care what other people think about you. Here's what I'd say to that. I think you probably do. I think you probably do. And, and I've thought about this over the, the week. I think I've always been one who has said, I don't really care what people think of me. I'll do whatever I want. Right? When it comes to preaching, 
I, I think, well, I don't really care what people think of me in my preaching. I'll, I'll say the things that I believe are true from God's word, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that go. I don't really care. But here's what happens. I get home on Sunday afternoon, and the wheels start turning. And I have a desire to be accepted in all kinds of ways. I wonder how they heard that. I wonder how they heard that. I wonder if they're going to talk to me. I'm going to have a meeting after this. I don't know how this is going to go. And I'm plagued with all kinds of doubts and fears and, and trying to figure that out. So I think we, we have this desire to be accepted. Deep down, we all desperately want that. We just move positive for a second. We're, we're made to be in relationship. We're, we're, we're made to be in relationship, and, and, and in the best ways, we have a desire to serve and care for others, and we want to do that. And if it was a, a perfect and sinless environment, we would do just that. We would serve others, we would care for others, we wouldn't worry uh, about other things. But, but because sin has entered in, now we're in a place where we're, we walk away from those things, and we think, have I served them well? Did I care for them well? I wonder if they think I served them well and cared for them well. I wonder if others have served, served them and cared for them in different ways or better. Right? And we want to be accepted in all kinds of ways. And, and here's what happens. That's just relationally to other people. Here's what I think happens. That mentality then begins to creep into our view of relationship with God, doesn't it? Where we begin to ask questions. Does God accept me? We want to feel accepted in all areas of life, even in how God accepts us. We, we want God to accept us. The areas where we feel the most unlovable and unacceptable and vulnerable cause us to believe at times God would never accept someone like me. He just wouldn't. And, and on the other side of that coin, we, we may be thinking, if that's not you, God would never accept someone like me. Maybe you're thinking, well, God just might accept me if I can prove to him how acceptable I am. And so I'm going to do all these things and, and, and move in the right, the right directions, and I'm going to do all the things that I think I ought to be doing so that God will accept me. And, and I think I can prove to God that I'm worthy of acceptance and, and that God has worked on me and, and in me. And, and, and as much as I can, I'm confessing sin, and, and I don't think I'm as bad as this person or that person, and maybe God will accept me if I can just prove my worth. Let me just take a deep breath. And then drill into the truth, hard truth, of Scripture. We've talked about these things um, in the last week. Week four, we talked about the fall and where, where sin enters the world. And now, now where we inherit the sin of Adam. And, and also not just the inherited sin, but we all also choose sin for ourselves. And, and that opportunity to have a relationship with God is shattered. Right? We, we want to be in relationship with God as an accepted son or daughter. And, and because of our sin against him, that opportunity has been destroyed. And we have no right to be near God. And we have no right to, to lean into that. And, and God cannot be in relationship with anyone whose position or whose status is guilty. And because of that inherited sin and also our willful sin, we stand convicted as guilty of sin. Sin is, is an offense against a perfectly holy and righteous God who requires perfect holiness and righteousness for us to be near him. Listen, that's weighty. I understand that. I understand that it's extremely weighty to hear that. That we're in a place where what we deserve because of our guilt is 
death. In fact, if we just look at legal terms, where would that leave us? It would leave us convicted and condemned, and the word that's over us is guilty. And the just punishment for that guilt is death. And that goes all the way back to the, the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back where God uh, said to, to Adam, if you sin against me, you will surely die. It's the third week in a row, by the way. I've had you all in unison say die together. I don't know. There's something powerful about that. I've just done that, right? Um, you will surely die. Right? The, the parameters are clear, right? God's not dodging stuff here. You will surely die. That, that's the consequence. Death. Right? The, the, the clear commands have been given. We know the punishment. It's only... Hear, hear this well. It's only just of God to follow through with the appropriate consequences. You hear that? It's only just of God to follow through with the appropriate consequences and punishment. In 1998, it's a good year, um, I drove... Uh, from St. Louis to Lake Michigan in a rented Ford Taurus. I was living large um, it, with uh, four of my friends, a car fit for four. We had five in there. And so we took off from St. Louis to Lake Michigan, all of us together. We were just going to go and spend some time in, in Michigan. And, and we headed out of St. Louis um, where, near where we were living then on Interstate 55 um, into Illinois, and we head into a construction zone. All right, and in that construction zone, the speed limit at the time was 65 in, San, in Missouri, Illinois area. I don't know what it is now, but um, 65. We we see the sign says 65, and it has been clearly marked with another sign over the top of it that says construction zone 45. Right, clear. It was clear, and, and it was made clear by the giant orange sign beside it that outlines what happens if you go over the speed limit in a construction zone, that it's an automatic $500 fine, okay? Which is exactly why when I started seeing the flashing lights behind me, I knew what uh, was going to occur. Or at least I knew in part what was going to occur because what I didn't know was attached to that $500 fine was, was a mandatory court date in Lincoln, Illinois, right? So I have to travel back to Lincoln, Illinois for this mandatory court date where I would be handed a hefty fine for speeding in a construction zone. Now listen, I had no argument. I couldn't go and say, well, no, maybe you're wrong, right? I, I couldn't, I, could, I had no argument. There was no need for a lawyer there was nothing I could do. I, I was guilty. That, that was it. And, and it was just of the judge to follow through. Does that make sense? It was just, why would he not? It was just, it was clearly marked. And, and when Adam sinned and all of humanity followed, our relationship with God was destroyed. We're guilty of sin against a perfect judge who is completely just in handing out that punishment of death. So justification is a, is a legal term. It has to do with this act of showing or proving that someone is right. And so in relation to God, justification is still a legal term. And it deals with our acceptance. Are we accepted into relationship, a right relationship with God, the judge? And the only way we're able to be accepted into that right relationship with God is if we are completely right. 
completely right and, listen, we're not. And so that shows us that we're in desperate need, yeah? Shows us that we're in desperate need. Now, what's, what's needed? That's what I want to think through um, briefly this morning to finish this out. To have a right relationship with God, what needs to happen? What are the details surrounding justification? Being, being justified, being made right. There, there are several ways we could look at this. I'm going to try to break it down into four biblical themes. We can kind of wrap our brains around surrounding this idea of justification with the end goal. Again, I've said this, with the end goal of being gr- greater affections for Jesus. That, that is the end goal. The first thing that has to happen for, in God's justification of us is this. Please allow this to hit. The first thing that has to happen in God's justification of us is that our innocence must be declared. Innocence must be declared. In our sin, the declaration over us, though, the, the verdict read over us is guilty, condemned. That, that's where we stand. Without Christ, our legal status, if we're talking legally, our legal status is guilty and condemned. We're declared guilty. But listen, condemnation is the opposite of justification. In justification, our innocence is declared. As a legal term, our innocence is declared. Now, how can we be declared innocent? How can we, you and I, as sinners, be declared innocent? How, how is that even possible. It's been said of us as, as humanity that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all pushed against that and we've fallen short of God's perfect standard. Through and through we are sinful. We've seen this over the last weeks, but even our hearts are deceptive and, and wicked. Jeremiah 17 tells us that. Now, how can a deceptive and wicked heart be declared innocent? How's that even possible? Listen to what Paul says in, in Romans 8. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. How, how can we be declared innocent? How can God be for us? Here's how. Because God did not spare his own son. The very one who is absolutely innocent, absolutely in every way innocent, was given up for us. So there's no one to condemn, condemn us. No one can bring a charge against us. God has justified us and declared us innocent. Jesus died. The innocent one died. He stepped in and took the punishment for us. He took the guilt and punishment for our sin. Justification is a legal term declaring our innocence. It's beautiful. And in God declaring us innocent, what had to happen? If he's declaring us innocent, it's just not some magic trick. What had to happen? We see this, secondly, that, that our sins had to be forgiven. Right? We had to be declared innocent, and if that was to take place, then our sins had to be removed. We cannot be declared innocent if we're covered in guilt. It just can't happen. That guilt has got to be removed. It's got to be forgiven. This is what, we, uh, this is what happened on, on the cross, right? That our, our sins are forgiven. The blood of Jesus shed, the perfect lamb of God, life, life taken to, to pay the penalty of our sin, to cover over the guilt of our sin, to forgive 
sin. So what we saw last week over and over in Ephesians chapter 1, we saw this. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. What? The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We see again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. What is that? The forgiveness of sins. Right? David in Psalm 103 speaks to this end as well. We ultimately see this fulfilled in Jesus. But what does he say? He says, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Praise God. Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Innocence is declared, and the only way that that can happen, the only way that that declaration of innocence can happen, is if our sins are forgiven, removed cleansed. And I think something we often believe is something like this. My, my sins were removed and now they're just gone, right? I don't know. They're, poof, they're, they're just gone. My, my sins have been removed and yes, Jesus, yep, 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 but now they're, they're just gone. But, but listen, hear, hear this. I know this is going to sound simple. They had to be dealt with. They didn't just poof and they were gone. God didn't say, I'm going to remove them and not deal with them. They, they weren't like that. Listen, if you take out a, a loan for a car and a few months later you realize you don't have the money to pay the bank back, right? And, and out of the kindness of their heart, which is what banks do, right? They, they come to you and they, they graciously um, forgive that loan. We've all experienced that, right? We just said, yeah, don't worry about it, right? No, that doesn't happen. But uh, the money loaned to the person uh, doesn't just poof out of existence. Let's pretend that the bank forgives that loan. It doesn't just poof out out of existence. Someone had to deal with the expenses uh, that were incurred to, to make that car, right? The metal and the rubber and whatever else makes a car, I don't know. But those things uh, had to be dealt with in some way. They had to be paid in in some way. Someone had to deal with that expense. The the bank had to to pay the car dealership for the car. I don't know. Your bankers will tell me that's wrong. But the payment that was needed had to be paid by someone somehow. Just didn't poof out of existence. When my sin is forgiven, and when your sin is forgiven, It doesn't just disappear. It had to be dealt with. Isaiah 53 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs, and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our transgressions our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Listen. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've got to feel that. It is poof and gone. It had to be dealt with. Our our sin had to be laid on Jesus. It had to go somewhere. It had to be dealt with. Our sin had to be punished if it was to be forgiven. If God was to be a just God, it had to be taken care of. 
Peter tells us something similar in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Our sins have been placed on Jesus. Our innocence is declared. Our sins are forgiven, placed on Jesus. Let's carry that out even further. If we've been declared innocent and our sins have been forgiven, then where does that leave us? Where does that leave us now? Right? Are we in a place where, I don't know, maybe I'm just neutral now, right? We've been declared innocent. My sins have been forgiven. What about into the future? Am I just neutral? No, it's not a neutral status where we find acceptance with God. We can't go into a relationship with God at neutral. But we have to be completely perfect and righteous through and through. God will not accept us if we're not made righteous. So there had to be righteousness imputed. Right? There had to be. I'll explain that word in just a second. Right? There, there had to be righteousness imputed. The word impute or imputed or imputation, not amputation. It's a different sermon. Right? Um, impute, imputed, imputation. It's not a word we often use, is it? Right? I think the last time I used it was 100 years ago. So um, it's not a word we use, but it's a word that, that has been used to talk about how biblical justification can happen. So let me walk through this. To impute something means to assign attributes to someone when they're not inherently theirs. And because these attributes have been assigned to this person, this person is now that attribute. Did that make sense? I'll say that again. To to impute something means to assign attributes to someone when they are not inherently theirs to have. And because these attributes have been assigned to this person, this person is now that attribute. Does that make sense? That, that's imputation. So let me, let, let me work through this biblically from, from beginning to end. Let, let's go this way. When Adam sinned, right? So, so when Adam sinned, we, we would say that his guilt then was imputed to us. Right? That, that his sin became our sin. We are, because of Adam, seen as guilty, even before we willfully choose sin. We're, we're seen as guilty. We, we get that. We inherit that. In the plan of God, however, when Jesus willingly went to the cross, what did he do? He took on our sin. Our sin was imputed to him. We impute, the, uh, the, the sin of Adam was imputed to us. Our sin was imputed back to, transferred over to, assigned to Jesus, placed on him. He paid the penalty of our sin like it was his own, though it was not. And the righteousness of Christ then, hear this, was placed on, imputed to us. Righteousness imputed so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. He just looks at us and sees the, the righteousness of his son. I, I know this may sound silly. I use it over and over. I talk through this with uh, our, our five sons often. Um, when God looks at us, it's as if he puts on Jesus' glasses. And all he can see when he puts on those glasses is his son. His perfect and, and righteous son. Paul uh, in, in the New Testament lays this out in, in several of his letters, just, just a few of them. Galatians 3, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by what? Becoming a curse for us. That became Christ, right? Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see the imputation there. That, that he became sin so that we might become 
the righteousness of God. God made Jesus to be sin, the very one who never sinned, took on our sin, became sin. Uh, Our sin was imputed to him so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that righteousness of Christ was then imputed to us, placed on us, wrapped around us. So Jesus took on our sin, became a curse, gave his righteousness, and now those who believe, listen, listen, that's how God sees you. The righteousness of Christ. In Christ, those who believe have been justified. Innocence has been declared. Sins have been forgiven. Righteousness has been imputed. I'm going to ask a question. I want to hear your response. What did you do to deserve that? I I don't think I heard enough there. What did we do to deserve that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Innocence declared, sins forgiven, righteousness imputed. Why? Because the grace of God was extended. The, The grace of God was extended. It's only in the grace of God that we have been justified. God looks at you and he sees Jesus. He, he sees the, the perfection of Jesus. He sees the spotlessness of Jesus. He sees the innocence of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus by grace through faith. And our response there is what? Faith, right? We believe that God has already accomplished these things in Christ and, and we are recipients. We, we did nothing to earn that. I think Paul gets this in the New Testament again, Philippians chapter 3. He says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the, the, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We could stop right there. Right? I, I count everything as loss. In, in seeing Jesus as my Lord, I count everything as loss. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul understands that the grace of God has been extended. He he gets that. That even though he has lost much and he suffered for the cause of Christ, he deserves death. That's what he deserves. He he deserves separation. The righteousness that that Paul has is not his own, but comes through faith in in Christ. It's been imputed to him by the gracious hand of God, not because of anything he's done, but it has been grace extended. Friends, listen this morning. Are you in a place where you're struggling with, with yourself, really, to understand your own acceptance and what that may look like and and, and fighting and struggling to try to be accepted by groups of people or maybe a person. Maybe that's where you are. I just want to be accepted by that one person. You're in a a place where you're just lonely. I I want to be around people. I want to be accepted by people. And that then trickles into a place where you're struggling to believe even that you're accepted by God. Are you there this morning? I think we've, we all hit those places. Are, are you there this morning? This is what we, we've got to hear, I think. That, that in Christ and because of Christ and through Christ, we have already, by faith, been accepted by a Father who loves us. Hear that? Let it rest. 
we've already been accepted by a Father who loves us. We find the perfect and unfailing acceptance with God in Christ. We have already been accepted. So here's what I want to do this morning to to close out. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn to the book of Romans. We'll finish here by just reading a couple passages that, that I want to rest on us. The book of Romans is in the New Testament, which is in the back part of your Bible. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. It's a big, big uh, letter, 16 chapters. You'll find it. Romans. Uh, I want to read a couple passages from Romans, and I want, want you to see them. I'm not going to have them on the screen. I want you to see them in your Bibles. I want you to let them, to let them rest on you. Thinking about the justification uh, of us into right relationship with God, our acceptance with Him. Look at chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, all this talking, I wasn't even turning there, sorry. Romans chapter uh, 3, starting in verse 21. Here's what it says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Here's what we need to hear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we also need to hear this. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Propitiation. Pause a second. Propitiation is a beautiful doctrine. It means that the wrath of God that was meant for us is poured out on Jesus and instead we get His favor. Why? And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's standard. But God is the just one. Justifying us by the blood of Christ. We're now seen as Righteous. Now listen, will that ever end? Does that end? Is there an end point? Like, does that expire? Is there some sort of end? Does that run out? Doesn't. Flip ahead a couple pages to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, we read a little bit of this, but I'm going to read it again. And I want you just to hear, hear these things, listen to them, see them in, in the pages of Scripture. What then shall we say, uh, starting in verse 31, chapter 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now listen, that's acceptance, yes? That's acceptance. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or anything that you're currently experiencing? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he answers it. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, nothing separates us from the love of God. There is nothing that separates us from the acceptance that God offers in Christ. If you are lacking acceptance in some way, the offer that God extends through His Son is, come on, uh, you, you are accepted because of the love of Christ. Nothing we, we will do will ever lose His favor and nothing will ever gain it. We have it in Christ. Innocence declared, sins forgiven, righteousness imputed, grace extended, all to the glory. It's beautiful, beautiful grace. Let's pray. God, my prayer is that as we consider these doctrines, especially this one, our own justification and our rightness before you, a just judge, that they would, that the things that we're considering would well up in us into overflowing praise, adoration, greater affections, worship, of you, Almighty God. That you had a plan to redeem a, a, a group of guilty sinners, of which we um, have experienced, and you have you, you're, you set your plan in place through your Son, who took on our sin, paid the penalty for it, died, was buried, and, and rose victoriously now is seated at your right hand. As we consider those things, and and then as we consider the fact that you, God, God, you said to your son, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now you look at us in those same eyes. You see us as acceptable, not because of anything we have done or not done or anything we could do or not do, but because of what Jesus has already done. Perfectly, we're accepted. And so my prayer for those in this room this morning who believe is that that would put in them a desire to, to be obedient, to, to live by faith, and, and to worship you all the more. And my prayer for some in, in this room who this morning are not yet followers of you. Certainly in a room this size, there, there are some in this room who do not yet know you or call you their Lord. My prayer is that you would be at work softening hearts right now that you would do that work of softening hearts and drawing people to yourself. Individuals in this room, even now, who are wrestling with faith, would you draw them in, showing them that there is no acceptance that means anything aside from the acceptance that they receive from you because of what Christ has done. Would you soften hearts to believe that? We need your help. Amen. Amen.